Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin athletics on today's show. We're going to get into a little mailbag. We had a uh, mailbag put out yesterday. You guys sent in some questions, uh, both from the site and uh, some buddies of ours, so we're going to get into some of those questions. And then in the back half of the show, we're going to continue with our player files for the return uh, players of the Wisconsin football staff. Uh, we've been doing it. We did it uh, a few episodes ago. We got started on it. We've been putting it out on the site, um, on our Instagram, talking about each player individually that's returning to the team, kind of getting in-depth of those guys. So we'll continue that. We'll hit on a few names. We'll answer some fun questions and some hypotheticals, and then uh, we'll get you guys on out of here and into the weekend. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing phenomenal. Ready for uh, a little Badger talk after we we really broke down recruiting the last two episodes. So if you haven't gone back and listened to those, um, you know, we've, we've got our player profiles to talk about, and I think that's exciting. Yeah, if you guys haven't listened to that, make sure to go check those out. I think we both really enjoy doing um, those two podcasts on the recruiting stuff. We know that uh, as a fan base and listeners, everybody loves to talk about recruiting, uh, both on the site and uh, on the podcast. So we hope you guys enjoy it, and if you haven't listened to it, make sure to go check it out. Um, Before we get into our topics of the day, we are going to touch on some news, Uh, and the first is that the NCAA essentially extended the recruiting period uh, as a dead period until June 30th, uh, which isn't all that surprising. It was kind of something we expected, despite the the recent news in Wisconsin and everything that's gone on. Uh, We we fully expected the NCAA to extend this out, but what do you make of of that news? Anything uh, really there? Of course, it's impactful. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely impactful, like you said, for the Badgers. Wisconsin has, you know, historically, since they started the early signing period, done really well with June official visits. Wisconsin, uh, you know, they, they roll out the red carpet. You're able to get outside, hit up the terrace, hit up the lake, enjoy what Madison is in the summers, which, you know, is very different um, than what it is in December or January. So it's one of those things where I think, the staff would obviously prefer to be able to do June official visits, but at the same time, uh, it's hurting everyone across the country. Wisconsin still recruiting, still being able to have contact, you know, via via um, different channels, you know, DMs, text messages, calls, whatnot. But it's just the in-person visits and uh, have been kind of stalled, and it makes it so that you know rec- recruiting boards are going to be have to be treated differently because. There isn't as much uh, time to be able to see in-person recruits and be able to see them at camps as well. So I, I think it's it's definitely noteworthy, but at the same time, because everybody's going through it, um, we're seeing that the Badgers, like we said, have done really well with these visits. But Wisconsin also did really well by getting some of their top prospects on campus for junior days prior to this all uh, hitting with COVID-19. So I, I think overall, it, it's not great for the Badgers. I, I think we'd prefer that it, they would be able to have visits. But in the end of the day, it's nothing you can can, can do. It's, it's in the best interest of the health and safety of the recruits and people on campus. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's something, like I said, we, we all kind of expected it. but And, and thankfully, 
like you mentioned, Wisconsin isn't behind the eight ball against everybody else. It's not like every other school is going out and, and you know, picking up their bootstraps and, and getting after recruits and, and getting in the mud to try and win these players over. Everybody's kind of dealing with the same thing. So while it is unfortunate, you know, you mentioned Madison in the summertime is always a great place to be. It's it's helpful to get players on campus and see what's that less like. Um at the end of the day, it's it's something that uh, they, they just kind of have to go through, and everybody's on that same playing field. And, at, yeah, it stinks. Uh, of course, you want to see guys on the campus, and you think you can make uh, some impact on that. But at the same time, it's something that everybody's going through. So it'll be interesting to see once this opened back up, you know, how how that changes. But we're going to be, you know, recruiting-wise uh, until June 30th, uh, and who knows even beyond that. It's going to be interesting to see how that uh, changes and how that takes a turn. Uh, the other thing we wanted to talk about quick uh, was the Joe Krabenhoff uh, news, which we just put out. I believe you wrote up the article uh, for Bucky'sFifthQuarter.com, um, so check that out on the article side of it. Uh, Joe Krabenhoff was named to the top 40 under 40 in terms of college basketball, basketball coaches by ESPN. Which, uh, if you know Joe Krabenhoff, of course, uh, a legendary player for the Badgers on the court, uh, but a huge part to Greg Gard's staff as well. So what do you make of such a tremendous honor for Joe? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very deserving. You know, he, he's, since his playing days, really jumped into coaching full steam ahead. You know, he's only 33 years old. Um, but I think while he's really known to have really good relationships with players and 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 whatnot, I think what he's been doing on the recruiting front has been extremely valuable for Wisconsin. You know, you look at uh, who he's helped bring in since being here in 2016 and Brad Davison, Hedstrom, Wall, Ben Carlson, Johnny and Jordan Davis, Stephen Crowell, Matthew Moore, Chucky Hepburn. It's like that's a pretty substantial list. You've got some some four stars in there. You've got some upper tier three stars as well. Um, using kind of his relationships with Howard Pulley in the Minnesota area, um, as well as his South Dakota roots to get a guy like Matthew Moore's, you know, a guy like Brad Davison who played for Howard Pulley um, and, and and whatnot. So I think what he's doing is 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 impressive, uh, and I think Wisconsin uh, is in good shape of having him. You know, you can never hold on to the really good coaches for um, super long time anyways, but at the same time, I think he is uh, in a good place, and it's kind of similar to, like, uh, a guy like Jim Leonard where you, you turn to him, he's one of the top guys on your staff, and, um, you know, you know eventually he's going to go somewhere else unless he rises up the rankings within the staff. Um, so, you know, best of luck to him. He's obviously still a badger for now, and uh, he came in at number 30, and I, I think he'll be with Wisconsin for years to come. Yeah, yeah, we can certainly hope so. And, you know, use, like you said, with Leonard uh, and with Joe Krabinoff, use their, their minds while you've got them because they are likely to probably move on to a, a higher-profile job and things like that as, as a head coach, but down the road. But while, you, uh, while you've got them on your staff, make sure to take advantage of them and, and use their you know their abilities. And I think so far uh, he's, he's done a great job. You look at that 2021 class with Moores and Hepburn, uh, Chris Hodges, guys, you know, three, four stars right now. The 2021 class for the for the basketball side is is looking, you know, the top in the Big Ten and the national rank uh, at number two. So of course that will change and things like that. But you're seeing Wisconsin on on the basketball and uh, recruit at a really high level that they haven't necessarily always. There, there's been guys, there's been pieces that they've landed and. Much like the football team, they developed guys, but now you're seeing on on both sides of it, they're getting in some guys that are are more ready to step on the court when they get uh, when they get to campus. So it's it's exciting, uh, and I think it's a it's a really good honor for Joe Grabenhoff and, and you know a, a 
like we said, a great guy uh, as a coach and a great guy as a player. He was he was a tremendous amount of fun to watch in his playing days as well. So hopefully he's at Wisconsin for a while. But uh, if not, you know, I know the the staff will try to get all of his talent out uh, while they've got him. For sure. All right. Anything else news-wise? Otherwise, we'll have pop into our mailbag questions. Let's talk some mailbag because I think we got some really good questions. Yes, we do. So we got uh, four or five questions here from from the site. And, of course, guys, if you have other questions, don't uh, hesitate to ask them. Just because we're doing uh, a mailbag segment here doesn't mean that uh, we won't do one in uh, in the future or or touch on a question. So if you guys have anything for us, make sure to let us know uh, via the website, uh, via Twitter, or anything like that. Uh, And the first question is a football-related one, and that's from Tacticus sure says a lot. One of our uh, top commentators at, at Bucky's Fifth Quarter, I always see his comments uh, on on our posts and things like that. Uh, but he asks, who will step up to replace the lost production on offense and be the go-to guy? Uh, Jake Ferguson seems to be the most likely candidate, but I wouldn't be surprised if Garrett Groshek sees more touches in TDs. And I think, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit already with, uh, obviously, the departure of Jonathan Taylor and Quintez Cephas, that Jake Ferguson in the passing game is probably going to be the guy, but I would agree that uh, Garrett Groshek is, I think, going to be utilized in a lot of different ways and get more touches. But uh, who do you say as your offensive go-to guy coming up for this season? Yeah, I mean, I think at running back, I think it's going to be more of a committee approach. I think Nakia Watson uh, and Groshek are probably going to be the guys you look to first, but then you might see some of the other guys uh, start getting a crack at it as well. You know, I think Isaac Isaac Arendo, a guy we might talk about later here in this uh, podcast, is is a kid with his speed that could really open things up and help some, some areas because he was – a former wide receiver as well. I think he brings a lot to the table. Um, but but I think where I think the biggest boost is going to come is actually from the wide receiver position. I agree that Jake Ferguson is probably going to elevate his game and get bigger, a bigger amount of targets. Um, you know, he doesn't he isn't going to hopefully have the thumb injury. He's also not going to have uh, a guy as talented as Quintus Cephas or a slot player like AJ Taylor um, to kind of have to vie for targets with. But but I think Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor are really into um, have bigger years. You know, we, we've seen um, Pryor be pretty consistent in terms of his output um, year in and year out, you know, almost 200 yards um, rushing uh, both of the last two years. And then he also had almost 300 yards receiving each of the past two years. I, I expect that to go up a little bit. Um, probably not the rushing numbers. I think that'll probably be similar to where he is, you know, around that 200 range, but I do see um, his overall number of targets um, go up from the 23 because, you know, you're going to have to go out and spread around 59 targets of Cephas and 23 targets of AJ Taylor, um, as well as 26 from Jonathan Taylor. So there's plenty of receiving targets to be had, and I think those two are going to be the biggest beneficiaries. Pryor will be probably used in a slot more, something that AJ Taylor was primarily used for um, for most of the time. Um, but then you have a guy like Danny Davis, who I think we saw what he did uh, his freshman year when Cephas went down hurt. And he was able to stretch the field, win the one-on-one battles, um, and, and do that. We even saw um, his sophomore year when when he was at Purdue. We saw what he could do in that game, hauling in a couple touchdowns. So he's got the talent. Um, last year he really was kind of – 
minimalized as a deep play threat, really re- regulated to just um, being a possession receiver, which I don't think is his game. He he is more explosive than that, especially down the field, using his um, excellent um, jumping ability and, and former basketball skills. So I, I think we think back to Danny Davis and what he can bring. I think he's probably, other than Jake Ferguson, the biggest beneficiary of this because those targets that would normally be going to Cephas down the field, uh, Wisconsin generally doesn't throw down the field deep to a lot of targets. They find one or two guys and they hone in on them just to, as a focus because it's hard to, to go ahead and have a lot of guys that you can build a big, robust route tree for. But um, I, I think Danny Davis is the guy that will jump up and, and get some more catches, uh, especially down the field, to improve his average from last year, which was only about eight yards per catch compared to Cephas, which was at 15. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Danny Davis, you know, we've talked about it a little bit already uh, with with uh, returning players and things like that during the offseason talk. Uh, Danny Davis looked like the candidate that was going to be the guy that, that really stepped up just by, A, we've seen it before from him, and B, there's, there's going to be catches that need to be made up, and his game – fits in the role and the replacement that you're going to need with Quintez Cephas. So um, in terms of total receptions, I still think Jake Ferguson, like you said, will will be the guy. You know, He's going to get a lot of those underneath, over-the-middle type stuff. Wisconsin does a good job, especially you know in years past. You look at the tight ends and, and Fumagalli, guys like that. They're going to get a, a ton of touches, and Ferguson's going to have more this season simply by, like you said, just being healthy um, and, and getting more repetition. Uh, but Danny Davis on the outside, I think, is going to be a, a really a really solid player. We've seen it from him his freshman year where he can do a lot of different things. I know there's been a little bit of a decline in terms of numbers and production uh, after that, but I, I don't think it's a, a, you know, a decline in skill. I think he's got all the skill, uh, and I think he's going to be poised for a big season. And I know Jack Cohn, you, he honed in on Quintez Cephas this past season. It was clearly there was a connection there between those two, and if Danny Davis uh, and Jack Cohn can can establish that connection again, I think it's going to be a really big uh, benefit to them. And at the same time, if there's other guys, you know, we, we've talked about Groshek already a little bit here. He's going to get more touches. Watson's going to get more touches. Pryor's going to get more touches. I think the football in general is probably going to be thrown more, and it's probably going to be spread around a little more, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Of course, you'd love to have Jonathan Taylor every single year. You'd love to give him as many touches as you can, but this year you're going to have to get a little bit more creative and, and get some other guys the ball and, and not rely solely on, on one or two guys. So uh, it's it's exciting to see that there's going to be other guys that get opportunities and hopefully they make the most of it. There is a lot of talent to go around, and it's just a matter of making sure that the guys are getting their touches because you don't have a guy um, like Cephas who is kind of demonstrative and in so much um, – you know, higher caliber um, in some ways and some skills than some of the other guys. Most definitely. All right, the other question um, from Tactica sure says a lot. Uh, He did provide two of them, so thank you. Uh, He asked about the defense, so it's a nice flip side of that to to cover both the football stuff. And he said, will will this be the season that Jim Leonard doesn't run his base nickel 245 defense over 80% of the time? With the depth of D-line, especially on the nose tackle across the secondary, will that influence the defensive scheme? Uh, I, I think overall you have to expect that, that Jim Leonard's going to do whatever scheme uh, not only works best for him but for the personnel that he's got. You, you look at the, the levels of the defense, you've got a very deep secondary, you've got a very deep defensive line like you mentioned at nose tackle. 
uh, with Bryson Williams and Keanu Benton. Uh, but even the linebackers are are pretty solid. So I'm interested to see where this defense goes. I think there, it's not a bad thing to have depth and, and talent at every level. So I, I don't know if – I think it will change depending on the personnel. I think Jim Leonard's a smart guy where he can adjust uh, to do whatever he wants and feels he's comfortable with. But what do you think uh, What do you think of Tacticus's question? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good question just in terms of looking at it, you know, 3,000-foot view of um, Jim Leonard's defense. I, I honestly don't see a whole lot changing in terms of the overall scheme. I think I think Wisconsin is doing a really good job, like he noted, on the defensive line. I've been pounding the table about that for a while, saying that I think this is a really deep group, something that they haven't had in a while. I mean, you've got Garrett Rand and Isaiah Laudermilk, two really solid defensive ends who could who kind of will be the guys up front in that two two four five uh, scheme that the Badgers oftentimes use. Sometimes they'll use three safeties. Um, sometimes that'll be a, an extra corner. But I also look at it as Wisconsin has two really good nose tackles. So I understand the the want to get those guys out there. Um, oftentimes you're not going to necessarily get the um, pass rush capabilities out of the nose tackle position that you would want. So that's kind of probably why Wisconsin, when they're in that nickel personnel, will uh, – shift that out and instead um, insert a defensive back. Just the way that teams use the spread offense now, it, it makes it so that um, there are a good chunk of teams when you're when, that you play that you're going to have to bring in the nose tackle position um, and go with the standard three down lineman, you know, go with the three standard base three, four. Um, but overall, a lot of teams are spread out, and I would expect that that won't change for Wisconsin with the amount of defensive backs they have coming back as well and the depth that they have built there. I mean, you've got a guy like Rashad Wild Goose who probably traditionally would be a starting cornerback on most Wisconsin Badger uh, defenses. I think he's really undervalued sometimes because of what he brings to the table. He's, he's tenacious uh, back there uh, at, at that cornerback position, good in run support, you know, and he's playing your nickel. Um, so I, I think Wisconsin is going to have, you know, two legit uh, corners who are, who are who are your starters, a third with Wild Goose, and then plenty of guys behind them that could also be um, starting across a lot of different teams. I, I just don't see where they're going to shift really what they're doing. If they do, it would probably be because of um, maybe not being so secure with their inside linebackers, in which case they might go 3-3-5 um, and, and deploy like Sandboard in the middle there. Um, I know that's what I would always use on college football. Um, not that that's like the end-all, be-all, but I would use that, and it was worth wonders. But, um, you know, I think the five defensive backs is, is here to stay, and there's a reason that Jim Leonard, um, you know, a defensive backs coach is – is usually throwing a lot of guys in there. It's because they deploy a lot of them in a given day. So I don't see a lot changing uh, in my eyes right now, especially with the depth that they have um, at that um, position as well as the depth they have at the linebacker position. I just don't see a lot going down. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you look at you look at those two positions. There's a reason why over these last few years with Jim Leonard as the defensive coordinator, they've recruited so heavily. Uh, in terms of building depth and those ones. And thankfully, the defensive line has, has built depth as well. So really, it isn't a bad problem to have, to have you know the, the flexibility to do multiple different things, do multiple different schemes, and work different guys in there depending on, on what's working and what's not. Of course, 
the the issue too is with no spring football this year. If there was something that you wanted to adjust and change, you probably you know I know they're they're still meeting via FaceTime things like that, having having uh, you know get-togethers like that. But it's probably hard to really change up too much of a scheme, uh, especially when you bring a lot of guys back and there's not a lot of new faces. They're going to have to learn a whole system. So. I, from that standpoint as well, don't see a lot changing because the defense has been solid. I think they, they return a ton of, of talent. They know what they're doing. So when when some schools are going to be struggling to hit the ground running with the system that they want, you know, you look at like a team like Michigan State putting in new personnel, new schemes, new coaches, the whole nine yards. Wisconsin's not really going to have that problem, and I don't think they would want to really create, quote-unquote, more problems for themselves by having to implement something new. So uh, with everything you mentioned and, uh, you know, with everything that's going on, I don't see a lot of changes myself. All right. Let's talk a little basketball. There was uh, – we have – it feels like a while since we've talked uh, Wisconsin basketball. Um, and this question comes from Wissox fan 83 And it's a great question because uh, you look at the recruiting class that's coming in, uh, a lot of talented players. But he asked, which incoming freshman basketball player – will have the biggest impact next season. And I think I know where you're going to go, but I'm going to let you tee it off first uh, to see if I'm right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's going to be at least two players that will play right away, um, potentially three, depending upon um, if the Badgers are wanting to do that out of necessity. Um, you know, I think Ben Carlson and Johnny Davis are going to be almost surefire bets to, to see the court. Um, I think Carlson's blend of inside-outside presence um, you know, we had him talking on the podcast uh, uh, about a month ago, and he, he's a, a really smart kid. He's been working on his game, continuing on the offseason. And, you know, I think just to have another guy that you can put in there in the rotation at forward would be helpful because that allows a guy like Tyler Wall to, to not have to spend some time in, at the four, which he is grossly undersized for, um, and, and allows him to kind of get his feet wet when he's probably going to be a starter next year when you're losing Mike a potter you're, you're losing Nate Reavers you're you know so they're going to need to have him get his feet wet because he is going to be most likely a starter next year the other guy is Johnny Davis you got Brevin Pritzel leaving Wisconsin's going to need uh you know a, a shooting guard small forward type guy uh Johnny Davis what he can do on the defensive end will make him an immediate presence uh, a guy that they could use right away to help guard um some some of the quicker, more athletic players in the Big Ten. You know, Brad Davison's a, a, a decent defender at, at times, uh, dependent upon the position, but Johnny Davis can just move his feet and really, really well. And I think both those guys are going to be players that I would be very surprised if they're not helping out, um, barring injury or some something else happening. Um, and then Lauren Bowman is kind of a wild card, you know, the point guard, Another position similar to Carlson where it's like, do you burn that, that redshirt opportunity to get him reps? Because on paper right now, he's probably your starting point guard uh, in 2021. So it's it's one of those things where I think Stephen Crowell and Jordan Davis are probably going to be walk-ons, but I'm mean, walk-ons, are probably going to redshirt. Um, but, but I think the, the other three are all fair game to, to play. Um, I think Johnny Davis will probably play the most significant number of minutes, though, just based off of the fact that his skill set matches um, all that amount of minutes that Brevin Pitzel lost um, or that you lose in Brevin Pitzel, as well as the um, loss of Kobe King to a certain extent. 
Yeah, yeah, the end of that there was exactly what I was going to kind of hit on with Johnny Davis. I think you look at what you lost from the beginning of the season last year and to this upcoming beginning season with uh, Pritzel and, and Kobe King a little bit. Uh, I know he was kind of a, a hybrid guy at the two and three. Uh, I think Johnny Davis, in terms of impact, will step right in there and, and take most of those minutes. I think he's got the uh, the game to step in there and, and really make a big impact for this team right away. You know, you watch uh, his highlight tapes. He looks, you know, college basketball ready. So I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't expect anyone else in, in terms of minutes and impact uh, to have more than Johnny Davis. But uh, like you mentioned with Ben Carlson, big kid, uh, a guy that, like you mentioned, you're going to need a forward after this season that is, is ready to play. Uh, I think he'll get a significant amount of minutes as a rotation guy. Uh, so I could definitely see both of those two having an impact. But in terms of who's going to do more, I, I think just from a sheer minute standpoint, it's going to be Davis. But I, I would fully expect to see quite a bit of Ben Carlson to help out you know, those bigs in, in Reavers and Potter. Those guys are, you know, you rotate them in, maybe you're going to play them a little bit more together this upcoming season like we saw you know, down the stretch. Uh, this past season, so you're going to need a guy that's going to be able to step in there uh, and give them a blow at the four and the five position. Ben Carlson fits that mold perfectly, and then uh, that allows Tyler Wall to kind of rotate into different positions. So I would expect both of those two guys to see significant minutes, but I think Johnny Davis is, is going to have a little bit more impact, just at least to start. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the big thing is that it's really nice. Wisconsin, Alano Tucker talked about this. Wisconsin's in a unique spot where they have a big um, contingent of freshmen coming in, you know, with uh, such a big class, and you have a huge contingent of seniors. So you've got, you've got guys that you can learn from and, and push them. I mean, the number of seniors that the Badgers are going to have next year, both scholarship and walk-on, is, is colossal. I mean, you've got Trice, you've got Ford. Even a guy like Walt McGrory is going to be a senior. You're going to have uh, Micah Potter. You're going to have Trevor Anderson. You're going to have uh, – you're going to have uh, Brad Davison and Nate Reavers. So that's that's a large part of your team is going to be senior-laden. So there's going to be tough to find minutes for a lot of these guys, but there's also going to be the need to get minutes for these guys because they're going to be down there playing in the Maui Invitational, and they're going to need to have had their feet wet somewhat and have some experience to draw upon. Otherwise, it's going to have to be the Tyler Wall show. And while I think Tyler Wall is a phenomenal player, um, he's not going to be the overall scoring threat that you need to compete for Big Ten championships. Yeah, most definitely. I think uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head with both of those. And uh, I think it's, like you said, a, a good problem to have. I don't expect... Um, you know this group to to miss too much of a beat. I think it's good that you've got experience, and then you can you know work work in and, and get these guys seasoned and ready. Uh, and Davis and Carlson, so that when their you know full time role emerges as starters in, in years to come, they'll be ready uh, for that. So I think it's uh, a nice benefit for the Badgers have to have uh, this season. All right, let's get into a couple hypotheticals. The first uh, one that I wanted to ask about. Uh, is given that there are no sports going on, if there was one Badger game that you could go back and attend, which would you choose and why? And I think that was a really interesting hypothetical because there's so many good Badger games, football or basketball, to think back of that I personally didn't attend, that if you if you would have, it would have been a lot of fun. But which uh, game are you looking at? 
Uh, I think think that's tough. I, I think for me, I would love to go back to I, – I've went to a lot of the football games that I've wanted to be at, um, but being at the um, Wisconsin versus Kentucky, um, taking them when the, when the Badgers took them down to, to go on on their uh, Final Four run uh, and, and kind of took away their undefeated season, I think that would be the, the one I remember being on State Street partying afterwards, um, but at the same time, I think that would be the game for me. Um, that was a blast when I was at the bar, let alone I can't imagine being at the joint for that one just with how loud that was. Yeah, that one would be a hard one to beat. You know, I was trying to think of some others. You know, I think back to the Rose Bowls uh, that I that I didn't attend, and it's hard to beat the Rose Bowls, but at the same time, they also lost those games. Um, I think one that was underrated uh, that I would have loved to go to, uh, which I didn't, and like you said, I've, I went to a lot of the football games as well, but the Big Ten Championship game uh, where they just whooped up on Nebraska. Uh, I've had so many horror show memories of going to the Big Ten Championship uh, the last three times. So going to that 70-31 to 31 win uh, over Nebraska back in, I think that was 2012, would be one that I, I would certainly welcome because uh, Lucas Oil Stadium has not always been kind to Wisconsin fans. So to be able to go back and see that one, I think that one would be up there. But it, it's hard to beat the the uh, 38 and 0, which went to 38 to 1 uh, because of that that team. That team was so special. You know, you think of Wisconsin basketball. That picture of of uh, Willie Cauley Stein walking off the court and the batter celebrating is one that is kind of burned into Wisconsin basketball and Wisconsin athletic folklore forever. So it would be hard to beat one of those two. Or one of yeah, I, yeah, and I think the, the other one that um, I would I would have been only been five years old, so I would rather uh, travel back in time as an adult for it. But the uh, the Rose Bowl in 93-94 that season, uh, you know, I remember being so excited when I was little uh, for that team and kind of everything they've gone through, um, you know, and kind of how they shifted the entire landscape of Wisconsin athletics uh, that season and, and how they were just such a massive underdog. I think that would be another one that uh, I would love to go back and be at, uh, even though at that time I would have been like five years old. So um, I would probably go with uh, that would be my either close second or a tie. Yeah, a good honorable mention for sure. Uh, any uh, anything else you want to touch on? Otherwise, we'll get into our uh, we'll get into some ad reads and then we'll get in back into our uh, returner profiles. Yeah, let's talk our returning profiles. All right, guys. Well, we'll kick it over to a couple quick ad reads. Bear with us, and then we'll get into our 2020 returner profiles. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, guys, a few episodes ago, we started this. Uh, we've touched on it a bunch on the website, uh, essentially what we've been doing with no sports going on. We've been looking at an in-depth look into each player that's returning for Wisconsin football. Uh, we talked about uh, it on the podcast uh, a little bit ago, and we hit on the first three, and now we've got some catching up to do. Uh, so we're going to hit on these guys, and then we'll continue to do this over the week. So basically you're getting – uh, a player preview on the website, on the Instagram, and on the podcast uh, covering all our bases. And we're going to start 
We've talked a little bit about the defensive line already. We're going to start with Isaiah Loudermilk, a player that's coming back, had a, has had a very solid career for Wisconsin. I know there's been some seasons where injuries have plagued him, but last year he was a big impact guy uh, for the Badgers. So what do you make of Isaiah coming back for uh, this season? Yeah, I, th- I think he's going to be one of the cornerstones of that uh, defensive line. Uh, you know, he is by far the the mountain in the middle there at at six seven, almost three bills. He he's definitely a kid that I think is is ready to break out. He's he struggled with injury injury concerns, but that's never taken away from the immense talent that he has. Um, you know, you look at kind of what he can do not only with getting to the quarterback. Um, with six sacks in his career um, and, and a couple forced fumbles. But you also look at what he does against the run and being able to bat down passes. You know, he I'm, he's not J.J. Watt in terms of being able to jump up and, you know, do that patented smackdown move that he would do. But at the same time, he, he's a guy, because of his length, he interrupts passing lengths. And, and kind of going back to a question we talked about earlier, you know, at 6-7, it allows them to kind of use that 2-4-5 because – uh, even if he can't get to the quarterback, he can get his hands in and, and close down windows that would normally be there on slants and, and other intermediate routes. So I think you look at him, I think when I wrote the article, I had talked about that I could see a, a similar developmental trend as Alec James, another guy who had also kind of played a bunch of football and also dealt with some injury concerns. Um, if, if he can follow kind of what he did where Alec James ended up going on and having a, a much bigger um, sack total his his senior year. I could totally see um, Isaiah Laudermilk being a guy who ends up being drafted when you look at his physical skills and size. Yeah, I think you, I think that's a great comparison uh, to Alec James. You think about his career, it's kind of gone on a similar trajectory as Isaiah Laudermilk, and now you know coming into your senior season, I think that's something that he if. If he put together a season uh, like Alec James did, it'd be uh, it'd be a successful one. And I think he's going to have all the opportunities, uh, you know. And, and thankfully, last season he, he battled some minor injuries, but was relatively healthy last year. And hopefully, coming into this season, uh, he has the same situation going on because if he does, he's going to be, uh, you know, a combo of Loudermilk and Rand coming at you is a scary thought. I mean, I've we, you and I have went to practice and we've stood around, I say, a louder milk, and the guy is just massive. He's, you know, he, I've thought, you know, when I've seen him, that my God, it'd be scary to have that guy bearing down on your blind side uh, if you're rolling away from him as a quarterback. So I think he's got all the potential, and I'm, I'm hoping that he'll have a, a very strong senior season this year because the Badgers will definitely need to replace some sort of pass rush when you lose, you know, Zach Bond and Chris Orr. You're going to need to find guys that can get to the quarterback and. Given his size, speed, and, and strength the combo, I think Isaiah Laudermilk is a, a likely candidate to uh, have some more sacks and, and create some more pressure that the Badgers are going to be looking for. Yeah, and I, I think he, he's just a kid that really um, is, now that he's healthy, he could really be uh, in for a good year. All right, let's hop into our next player, uh, and that is Logan Bruss. Of course, uh, a strong lineman for Wisconsin returning is always something that the Badgers need. Uh, but what do you make of Logan, Logan Bruss as he enters this season? I, I think Logan Bruss is another kid who who is oftentimes overlooked because we've had uh, guys or as fans that we that we watch like Tyler Biotis, who's who's in line to be drafted. Then there's the, before that it was Bill Benchall and and 
um, David Edwards and Michael Dieter, you know, but I think he's a kid who's, who's played a lot of football now, basically two years of uh, starting experience. You know, he, he was a guy who was getting some recognition in, in uh, this off season as a guy who could, could pop and also, um, you know, be a, a guy to look out for in, in draft circles because of his ability to play inside and outside. I think he's, he's going to probably be your right tackle, possibly right guard if, if uh, you know they have somebody else behind them like um, Beach or Logan Brown who really forced the staff's hand to get their top five out there, but I, I think he's he's really athletic. I think he can do a lot for them, and I think he's he's a really good right tackle for the Badgers, and I think he should have a good year next year. Yeah, I think what's what's really good about Bruss, and you mentioned it a little bit already, is is his flexibility that he could he could go in there and fit in uh, wherever you need him to. He's shown a lot of versatility. You know, he's playing it he's played a guard you know when there's been injuries and and he can play in a lot of different ways and I think for Joe Rudolph a guy that is fine with moving his best five around to make sure that he's got all five of them on the field uh, Logan Bruss really helps fill that mold because he can be moved around and go and say, you know Joe Rudolph can say okay well I want this guy on the field Bruss can move here and then you can and work that in so I think in terms of uh, alignment like you said he doesn't get as much not necessarily credit. I think it's just more name recognition. You've had some big linemen and Biotish and, and guys like that that have, have, have had the star power uh, and the name recognition. But I think Logan Bruss is, is kind of underrated that he's going to be a valuable piece for this team that uh, you know, when you look at a strong running attack, he's going to be a guy that, that really steps in and, and helps try to start up a new running attack with the, with the tailbacks of Nikki Watson and Garrett Groshek and, and the rest of the committee. Yeah, and I mean, you look at uh, kind of what he did last year, and Pro Football Focus has him r- ranked as the uh, third highest um, returning Big Ten offensive tackle, um, you know, receiving a grade of, of 74.9. So he, he's he's definitely um, a, a guy that is, is very talented, very athletic for his position as well. Um, but I, I think, like we both have said, I think he is undervalued at times by many people just because uh, of him being a right tackle, you know, did not playing um, the entirety of his early onset like we saw with a guy like Biotis who, or, or Dieter who played for so many years. Most definitely. It's going to be a valuable uh, position to have, and Logan Bruss will certainly be a part of uh, that running game as we go into next season. Uh, the other guy that we wanted to touch on was Dante Burton. Um, uh, we've talked about the depth in the secondary already, uh, and he's certainly part of that. I know he's probably battling to try and get on the field a little bit more this season. Uh, but what do you make of Dante Burton uh, as one of the Badgers' corners this season? Yeah, I mean, I think he's one of the younger guys who who definitely should be able to help them out that next year, especially as depth, and be a guy that I know that they're kind of getting ready so that it could be his turn to, uh, when when he's ready to play. He had a couple pass breakups. I think he had two this past year. Uh, played in played in 12 games, which which is great for him. Um, but but it, and and had a, a tackle for loss slash sack. But he, he's a kid that um, is still getting his feet wet with understanding everything. Um, he was only a redshirt freshman last year. When you look at kind of how the depth chart lays itself out, he's he's setting himself up to be one of the starters in the upcoming years potentially if things go right for him. So while I don't think he's going to see the field extensively as a starter next year, I think Caesar Williams, Theon Hicks, and Rashad Wild Goose are probably your type are your top uh, 
have dogs in that. I, I think he is a kid that is going to see reps. He's going to see time on special teams as well and is primed to eventually make a dent uh, when he gets his chance as a, as a full-time starter uh, if and when that comes. Yeah, he's going to be a guy, like like you mentioned, you, you he's going to have to have a strong camp if he wanted to contend for as a starting spot. I think uh, as you're coming into this season, given the seasons that Hicks and, and Williams had, especially down the stretch, uh, those guys are going to be uh, the, the number one and one and two in terms of cornerbacks, and then you're going to have Wild Goose on the field quite a bit uh, in your different packages that way. And Dante Burton, I know we got a lot of reps down the stretch last season in the Big Ten Championship game, played a good amount uh, in the Rose Bowl. I think he'll get probably more reps than what he got in total last season. Um, maybe he gets worked into some other packages that uh, they can find a spot for him. But if not, uh, like you said, he's going to be in there on special teams. He's going to be a guy that hopefully he can get in, get some reps, build on this season, and then coming into the following season when you've got uh, some more opportunities to be a guy that really steps in and, and uh, you know, wow some people because his recruiting was, was pretty high-paced. They were excited to have him. Now it's just about getting him getting him comfortable and, and working him into the fold as a, you know, a full-time player whenever that time comes. Yeah, because, I mean, like you said, he, he was definitely a kid that they um, brought in with high hopes because of what he did on the um, high school. And so I think he's going to be a kid to, to look out for. It's just a matter of making sure that uh, he's got he's going to kind of just wait his turn at this point just because there is – some some guys in front of him who have also earned their stripes and, and been around the block for a while. So I, I think he, overall he's had a really good start to his career. It's a matter of just keeping it going. Yep, exactly. I think that secondary room is, is going to be a strong one, and uh, Dante Burton certainly a part of that, even if he doesn't uh, see as much of the field as maybe he wants to. Uh, in a similar position, and our final guy to touch on, uh, the running back room is, is going to be competitive, a lot of reps to go around, and, and this player – is going to be a guy that's in contention to get a lot of them, and that's Isaac Garendo. Um, tremendous amount of speed, had some some brilliant moments last season, but what do you make of Isaac Garendo coming into this season? Yeah, I think I think it was very telling that they started using him more at the end of last year. Um, you know, I don't want it to be one of those things where um, Nebraska does where they go ahead and, oh, they won their last two games, so now he's obvious, they're going to obviously win the national title. I don't anticipate him being the starting running back next year. Now, he could because I think he has the talent to get to that point, but I do expect him to be a contributor and to see the field because of his versatility and his, his raw speed and athleticism. I think, you know, now that he is third year on campus, he's he's been a guy that has been – talked about by, like, Jonathan Taylor as a guy who's, look out, the kid can just flat out run. Um, you know, he's got to get down the subtle nuances of being a running back um, under John Settle, but at the same time, just the raw clay that he brings to the table is definitely there, and it's a matter of uh, everything clicking for him. So I, I think Nikia Watson's definitely in the driver's seat, but I think Isaac Garendo is, is definitely um, riding shotgun, hoping to, to potentially take over that role eventually as well. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think he's going to be a kid that they're going to try and find uh, opportunities to get him the football. And, you know, he might not be the predominant back and, and be getting carries, you know, every first and second down. He's not going to be a guy that is going to, you know, be your workhorse and, and get the bulk of the carries, but he's going to be a guy that they're going to want the, you know, the ball in his hands because he's, he's a guy that with his speed, with his athleticism, he can make things happen. And when you're looking at We've talked about having to replace yardage and reps and, and receptions. 
you're going to have to get creative ways to do it. And Isaac Grant is a guy that's kind of uh, flexible where he can he can do a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. So I have to imagine, uh, you know, with Paul Christ and Joe Rudolph trying to come up with creative ways uh, to get guys up, get guys the ball in space, Isaac Grant is going to be a target that they're going to look for to use because when he gets going, that speed is 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 no joke. And I, I think. We've saw it a little bit, but I think once Badger fans really see that speed on display more consistently, they're gonna they're gonna see why I think uh, you know people are so high on him. Yeah, I mean the injuries have really hurt, uh, set him back, and he just started getting healthy last year at the end of uh, you know his that season. So I think he's set up to to have a, a make an impact, I should say, on this team, um, whether it be as a running back, whether it be in special packages. Um, you know, kind of as a Swiss Army knife, or whether it be as a kickoff returner. We saw what he did against Minnesota in that space. I know the Badgers are also high on Stephen Bracey, so maybe he's the kickoff returner. But Garendo is going to be a guy that they're going to give chances back there, or Kendrick Pryor. So it's it's a matter of, you know, Garendo stepping up and taking over those spots to, to make it so that they can't give it to him, or that they have to give it to him, I should say. Most definitely. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, you know, for all four of the players that we kind of talked about, you know, I, I think, of course, Bross is going to be in the fold, Loudermilk will be in the fold, Garendo's going to get some time, and, of course, Burton's going to be worked in there. But all four of these guys that we've touched on are, are going to be impact players uh, this next season. So exciting stuff, and uh, I'm excited to talk about more of these guys as we get ever closer to a, a hopeful football season. Anything else you want to touch on? Otherwise, we'll wrap up another week of the podcast. Uh, no, just uh, keep following along with on Bucky's fifth quarter. Uh, if you like what we're doing, go ahead and leave a five-star review on iTunes. That always is helpful. We appreciate that. Uh, thank you to those of you who have done that. Um, as well, um, I know Drew has put it out there that if uh, we get a 1,000 Instagram followers here by the end of the month, that he will not only drink a bunch of Spotted Cow, but write an, uh, an article about how Spotted Cow is the best beer of all time. So um, anybody who knows Drew, that would uh, pain him extremely much to do so. So I really hope that people will go ahead and follow along with what we're doing with the 2020 returning profiles on Instagram and uh, make it do it for a good cause to make Drew kind of uh, eat his words and uh, some beer. Yeah, if if you haven't had enough incentive to to go follow us on Instagram because of the tremendous content we put out on a daily, at least now if you want to go follow us, you'll get uh, a glowing spotted cow review from Drew Ham, which is not something that I would ever expect to see in my time at Bucky's Fifth Quarter. So we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, so go give us a follow on Instagram, leave us a review, the whole nine yards, uh, and we really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. That wraps up another episode and a week of the podcast. We'll, of course, be back with you next week, as always, on Wisconsin. Thank you.